Well, thanks, Mark. Good morning. Glad to be with you this morning and for those who are online. You know, I've always been intrigued with the idea of hidden or sunken treasure. Two of my favorite movies, National Treasure, National Treasure 2. Yeah? Do I hear? Do I, do I get some feedback in the crowd? You know, in 2015, the, the galleon San Jose was found. It was considered the holy grail of sunken treasure ships. It was found in the Caribbean off the coast of Colombia. It is estimated uh, to carry a haul of gold, silver, and gems of 18 to 21 billion dollars. It was lost in 1708 in a fight against the English. The rights to this sunken ship, is, they're still tied up in courts to who has the right to this treasure. And so the treasure is still there seven years later. Anybody have a ship? Maybe one of those submersible Bemis things, maybe some scuba gear. I would love to take a Caribbean vacation with you and we can look for treasure. <laughs> this morning, if I were to promise you treasure, priceless treasure, but it would cost you all that you have. Would you take me up on it? <laughs> Some of you say, I don't have very much. You bet. I don't have one to offer, but I know somebody who does. You see, we're going through the stories of Jesus, and Jesus told two very short stories. They're only three verses long, but together they, they communicate a very precious point about what he was offering them in the kingdom of heaven. And what's great is that this was not a limited time offer just for them. Jesus makes this offer to you this morning. Turn with me to Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls when he found one of great value. He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Both of these parables and a few others that Jesus told beginning, begin with the words, the kingdom of heaven. You see, that was what Jesus was communicating about. That's what he was offering them. And he wanted to understand something very, very important about that offer. The first parable speaks of a huge treasure. The Greek word is actually thesaurus. <laughs> Maybe you have one of those in your home, a thesaurus, a treasury of words. But back then, it meant a treasure chest or a storehouse where a great treasure was stored. It's used in Hebrews 11.26, describing Moses as he left the treasures of Egypt in order to go out into the desert. This is not just a few coins found in the sand. This is a huge treasure chest. And while most of us don't bury our treasures in fields, it was not uncommon back then. They didn't have banks for the common people. They didn't have mattresses that they could stick the money under. And so they would bury it in the ground. 
We find this truth in, in another parable we'll look at it in a couple of weeks, Matthew 25, where the master gave uh, talents to three of his servants and entrusted them to, to use it and invest it. But the third servant buries it in the ground. But what would happen at times is that the owner of the field would die and nobody else in his family knew about the treasure. Or maybe he was removed from the land because of war or, or some other reason. And so the new owner would not know about the treasure. You know, this still happens today. Two years ago in January, a man bought a secondhand couch from a Habitat of Humanity thrift store. He got it home, and after a few weeks, his family was complaining that it was a little lumpy. And so they opened up the cushions and found $40,000 stuffed inside. He said the owner of the man had passed away, and nobody in his family knew he had been stuffing money in the couch. But fortunately for them, the guy who found it was a gracious man and tracked them down and gave it back to the family. The man in this hypothetical story is either working for the current owner or he has a hired help or maybe he's just traveling through the land and he came across this treasure. In his excitement, he, he reburies it, he hides it and goes and sells everything he has to be able to make that land and that treasure his own. Maybe we might think, well, that's a little questionable. But even according to Jewish rabbinical law, if a man finds scattered fruit or money, it belongs to the finder. It's kind of like a phrase we use today, right? Right? Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. But what's important is the attitude of this man toward this treasure. The next parable, the man does not accidentally come across the treasure, but he's actually out seeking it. He's looking for it. He's looking for valuable gems. He was a merchant who would buy at wholesale and sell at retail. Pearls back then were the most valuable gem because they were hard to come by. They didn't have all the safety equipment that we have today. And so they would look for it in the Red Sea, the Persian Gulf, or the Indian Ocean. But they, they would have to get down where 40 feet deep where it was kind of optimal conditions for the oysters to produce the pearls. And so what they would do is they would tie a rock around their waist and jump off the boat and hopefully it would sink them down to the right spot. They wouldn't stay very long or they wouldn't go too deep in order to find this pearl. But it would often take a hundred or a thousand oysters, even to find one pearl. So it was hard work, and many people lost their life. So these were valuable, valuable gems. The Jewish Talmud said pearls are beyond price. In Egypt, they actually worshiped the pearl. When women of, of wealth wanted to show their wealth, they would put pearls in their hair. In his buying and selling of pearls, someone shows this man a pearl that stops him in his tracks. The most precious, precious and priceless pearl he has ever seen. He can barely contain himself. 
The word phrase, the phrase great value literally means priceless. He is so eager to obtain this pearl that he goes and sells everything he has to buy it. What is Jesus trying to communicate about the kingdom of heaven? Is that it is priceless. It is the most precious treasure that you will ever encounter. The kingdom of heaven is a priceless treasure. What does this kingdom of heaven include? It could take us weeks and months to explore that. So I'm just going to just touch on five aspects of the kingdom of heaven, of what is part of the kingdom package that Jesus is offering you in this priceless treasure and how other biblical writers saw this as the treasure beyond all treasures. Number one, the treasure of the kingdom is knowing the truth of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul writes, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And what he wasn't talking about physical jars, he was talking about their own bodies, which were wasting away and deteriorating. But he says we have this treasure, and he writes about that treasure in verse 6, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He's saying knowing that Jesus represents the glory of God, that he was showing us the glory of God because he is the son of God and the only one who came from God to bring us the kingdom of God. To have this knowledge in your heart is a priceless treasure. A number of years ago, there was a reality-based TV show called Treasure Hunters. Maybe some of you remember that. Multiplayer teams would go and they would try to solve clues and go to historical sites and encode mysteries to try to find this treasure, be the last team standing. In 2006, that treasure was worth $3 million. $3 million. I would have loved to participate in that, wouldn't you? But you know what? What's that worth compared to the true treasure of knowing Jesus and the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for you? The treasure of the kingdom, number two, is the salvation of your soul. And Jesus came to accomplish this by giving you two priceless gifts. First of all, the gift of forgiveness, where Jesus is willing to take something away from us. He takes our sin upon himself. He takes our punishment. He takes the wrath of God when he died on the cross for us. And the second one is the gift that he gives us, the gift of his righteousness, his own very righteousness. The biblical writers understood that this was the treasure. Paul writes in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that we have all messed it, that we have fallen short. But he goes on to say, and we are all 
justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. That God is willing to treat us just as if I had never sinned because of his forgiveness, which came through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Peter would, late, would later write that this redemption, redeeming us, came not through things that perish like silver and gold, those things that we see are treasure today, but they were accomplished through the precious blood of Christ, the spotless Lamb of God. Forgiveness is a priceless gift, but so is the gift of the very righteousness of Jesus. That on the cross, Jesus was willing to offer that to us. Paul in Philippians 3 says, I consider them, and what he means by them is all his own attempts to try to be right with God, all his own attempts to make himself acceptable to God. He says, I consider all of them rubbish, a big pile of dung compared to what? that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. When we put faith in Christ, not only does God forgive us, but he declares us righteous. He sees us as if he's looking at his own righteous son. What a precious gift. Around 15 years ago, a man named Forrest Fenn hid a treasure in the Rockies worth around a million dollars. He later wrote a book called The Thrill of the Chase, and in it he included a 24-line poem that whoever could decipher that poem would find the treasure. Many people went looking. Some even lost their life. But it wasn't until a year and a half ago, over 10 years later, that a young man finally found the treasure. A million dollars in a box. Gold, silver, gems. But you know what? Worth nothing compared to the gift of salvation of your soul. Third, the treasure of the kingdom is having a relationship with Jesus and abiding in a deep and a close relationship with Christ. You know, in the Bible, the word know is more than just a cognitive word. It is a relationship word. It says that Adam knew Eve, speaking about the very intimate uh, act between a husband and a wife. Paul uses that word speaking about knowing Christ. Listen to his words in Philippians. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Kind of sounds like the parable, doesn't it? Paul says, I've lost all things. I've given all things 
But compared to what I've gained, the surpassing greatness of knowing the king, everything else is with nothing. Paul was not lamenting here, but he was rejoicing. <laughs> he was writing this in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is known as the epistle of joy. Paul is rejoicing to be in a relationship with his creator, with the king, his savior. In 2013, a couple from Sierra Nevada, they were out walking their dog in the backyard, and the dog found something. They saw found the edge of a, a rusty old can. They began to investigate further, and they found eight rusty old cans, all filled with gold coins. The face value of these coins was $25,000, but the gold value... $10 million in their backyard. Next time you walk the dog, you might be looking for more than just landmines, right? You might be looking for what they're sniffing. But you know what? Compared to knowing Jesus, nothing. The priceless treasure is being in a deep and meaningful relationship with Christ. For the treasure of the kingdom is God's word to us. You know, if God would have never spoken, we wouldn't know what kind of God he is. We wouldn't know anything about him. We wouldn't know what kind of life pleases him. But God chose to speak so that we would know him and know what it means to be in a relationship with him. Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed. Profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so the man or woman of God might be equipped for every good work so that we may know how to live, so that we may know God. The psalmist knew this treasure. Maybe this week you want to read Psalm 119, the whole one, the whole psalm, and ask, how did he see the, God's word? How priceless. Let me just read a few verses, beginning with verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. You see how he ties knowing God's word with knowing God? I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my life, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Does that sound like a man who found a treasure? One commentator offers, offers this insight. The point of the parable is that the glad recognition of God's rule over your heart and your life is a treasure so inestimably precious that the one who obtains it is willing to surrender for it whatever could interfere with having it. A couple was flipping a house in Detroit, Michigan. Maybe, maybe some of you flip houses here in Dubuque. And as they were going to, to, to renovate the house, they found in it 
two dozen paintings. They began to investigate. These paintings were done by a famous Canadian uh, artist. Some of his paintings alone went for $200,000. The collection they sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars. That was worth the flip, I think. But you know what? Nothing compared to the value of God's word for you. Jesus said everything will pass away, but his word will never pass away. And when you build your life upon his word, when you allow God's word into your heart and your soul and your life, that creates something that lasts forever. Lastly, the treasure of the kingdom is the promise of sharing in the glory of Jesus. The very glory of Jesus. I think sometimes we can live pretty discouraged, defeated, maybe depressed lives. It's because we're, we're focusing so much on this world and these treasures that do not fill our hearts. That's why Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory, in his glory. Another one of my favorite movies is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And remember the old one, Gene Wilder? Not Johnny Depp. Uh-uh. No, did not like that one. But that scene, that scene where right when he opens the door into the factory, you remember that? The door swings open and they're just, their eyes is like, wow. So much more amazing than he imagined. I mean, the, the, the chocolate river fountain, you know, waterfall churning the chocolate. A little too much for Gustus Glute to handle. He got to go take a drink and he fell in. Everything there, tasty and beautiful and gorgeous. You know, that's going to be what, what it's going to be like for us when Jesus opens the door, when he shares his glory with us. You know, John is, John, the last book of the Bible in the book of Revelation, he's just trying to, trying to describe it the best he can. And he said the pavement is like gold. The pavement, the tar, is gold in heaven. Inside the walls were jewels and emeralds and stuff. I mean, building material. The things that are most precious to us in this life are just building material in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus will share with us his glory. Paul wrote to the Romans, now if we are children, then we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. In 2006, David Tracti discovered something in the house of his father. His father had passed away, and so they were going through the house, and they found a false wall in the house that he never knew was there and began to dig into that and found a Norman Rockwell painting behind the wall. You see, his father had 
bought it in 1960 for $900. But then his father went through a sticky divorce. So what he did, his father did is made, had a copy made and donated it to a museum. So they thought that was the copy, but put the real one behind this wall, keeping it from his wife through the divorce. David ended up selling that at auction for $15.4 million. But you know what? When Jesus comes, it'll be dust. Just dust. Nothing compared to sharing his glory. And the amazing thing about Jesus' offer this morning is that you don't have to be anyone special. You don't have to be a special class. You don't have to be part of a special family. You, don't, you, could, you could have maybe just lived a pretty, pretty terrible life, made some poor choices. It doesn't matter. Jesus' offer is to every one of us. His priceless kingdom. So how do we respond? Well, how did the men in the parables respond. First of all, I would say a costly decision with a question mark. And both these individuals responded. And what did they both do? They both sold everything they had. So you might say that was pretty costly. But for them, it wasn't because they realized what they were getting instead. If I said, give me a penny and I'll give you $100, would that be a costly investment to you? <laughs> no, you would be celebrating. And that's how they saw it. You know what? The point that Jesus is making is not that we can buy the kingdom. We, we can't. We can't. It is, you can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It is an offer that he makes free of charge. But it's to be responded to by faith. A faith that understands how precious it is. And that there is no other treasure that even compares. It's not like you add this treasure to the rest of your treasures. No, you understand that nothing that you have before that is worth anything compared to this. The priceless treasure of his kingdom and what he offers. Not only was it a costly decision, but it was a, a timely decision. You notice how long it took them to make their decision? <laughs> Not very long. <laughs> they went. They went. As soon as they could sell all their stuff, they did. You know, on one hand, this is an unlimited offer, but for each of us, it's somewhat limited because of our lifetime. We've got to make the choice. We've got to respond. Either you understand this treasure or you turn away from it. Life is fragile. It's a vapor. Right after college, I was a youth pastor down in Orlando, Florida, and... uh, there was a young man who started coming to the youth group. He was in middle school. His name was Jeff Coco, and his family didn't go to church, but he got invited by one of his friends, and he started coming, and you could see God was just opening up his eyes and his heart and his life to the truth of Jesus. 
A couple months later, I got a call. He had died. And they didn't know why. They had done an autopsy, and they didn't know why. And the parents asked us to do the funeral because they had no home church. But he was gone. But praise God for him. He had the opportunity to hear the truth about Jesus and respond before it was too late. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Do not receive God's grace in vain. Do not take it lightly, flippantly. Have you realized the preciousness of Jesus' offer to you? And lastly, it was a joyful decision. It says, with great joy. It wasn't reluctant. They weren't hesitant. They were so excited. In John 15, Jesus said, I've told you this, that your joy may be in you, my joy, and that your joy may be complete. The greatest joy you can ever experience. The Ethiopian eunuch, after he responded to Jesus in Acts 8, we looked at it this summer, went with great rejoicing because he had found the treasure in Jesus. John Piper writes this about the kingdom. It is the reign of God triumphing over everything that stands between you and everlasting life and joy if you will treasure it more than anything else. I don't think it's ever needed to twist someone's arm to follow Christ. I think we just show them that it is the greatest treasure of all. Jesus is the greatest treasure and what he offers in his kingdom and in a relationship and in forgiveness and in his righteousness and in his word and in his promise of sharing his glory. Nothing compares to that. Have you embraced God's offer to you, the treasure of Jesus? No greater moment if you haven't than today. These parables also challenge us to think and evaluate in our own lives. What is my treasure? If someone would study my life for a week, what would they say is my treasure? What do I talk about? What do I think about? What do I plan for? How do I spend my time, my energy, my money? What are my commitments, my priorities wrapped around? Do they reflect that I know that Jesus is the priceless treasure? For those of you who are parents and entrusted with the hearts of your young kids, what treasure are you pointing them to? What treasure are you saying is worthy of their heart? 
their faith, their life, and everything about them. Is it Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these, uh, these two parables, brief but packing a powerful punch, asking us to examine our hearts to what is the treasure that we have found. And Lord, the offer that you make to us, every single one of us, the offer of your kingdom, priceless kingdom, Lord, may we be like the men in these parables who see the pricelessness of it compared to everything else and that we enjoy respond with all that we are, embracing it. Lord, may we just, our lives reflect the value of, of knowing you the pricelessness of, of our salvation, the gifts of forgiveness and your righteousness. When we're tempted to sin or to grab a hold of another treasure, maybe we be reminded of the price that you paid, the priceless gift of your righteousness. Lord, it may reflect our attitude towards your word and our handling of it and investing in it building our lives upon it. Lord, as we look forward to your glory that you will so graciously share with us, may our hearts embrace your treasure. In Jesus' name, amen.